0: Well, good morning. Let's continue with that part of worship as we pray together. Lord, we're grateful that no matter when it is in our life, at this moment when we're all gathered together under the lights and uh, we're in a worship service together, or whether we're alone, whether we're doing great or we're really struggling, no matter what it is, Lord, you tell us we can come to you, come to your throne of grace to find grace and your mercy in a time of need. And Lord, we are needing your help even now as we dive into your word together, Lord. We pray that by your spirit in us and around us that uh, you'll move us, you'll you'll help us to grow in what it means to give our lives to you, what it means to live a lifestyle that that you desire for us. We pray, Lord, that uh, as we open up your word together, that you'll help us to focus on it and uh, learn from it and be reminded by it. Guess what I'm leading us in saying, Lord, is... uh, we just dedicate our minds and our hearts to you now, and we love you, and we're thankful that you loved us first, and uh, may we love you back with the rest of this service. Jesus, we pray this in your precious name, amen. Well, before Donald Trump, there was a guy named John G. Wendell II. You may have never heard of John G. Wendell II, but um, the Wendell family actually were the largest landowners in New York City into the beginning of the 20th century. In the 1800s and the the 1900s, uh, the Wendell family were the wealthiest people in New York. The Wendell family, an interesting group of people. They owned over 150 properties in Manhattan. Uh, they actually lived in a mansion on 5th Avenue and 39th Street. Here's a photograph of their mansion. And uh, so, so wealthy and yet extremely frugal. A matter of fact, um, they were so frugal that they kept to themselves they were like misers and hermits all wrapped up into one. And New Yorkers were so intrigued by the Wendell family, they knew that they owned all this property, but like you never saw them, that they would actually have tour buses drive by their house in order to see if they could get a glimpse of the Wendell family. Here's a photograph. If you look down in the lower right-hand corner, see the tour buses going by the house there to kind of see, can anyone get a glimpse of the Wendell family? Get this, so it's John G. Wendell, he was the oldest, and he had five sisters that actually lived in that house with them. None of them ever married. He did have a sixth sister that left the house to to get married. She was kind of the rebellious one. Uh, She finally left the house at 61 years of age to get married. You know why they didn't get married? Because they didn't want to have kids. Because if they had kids, they'd have to hand off their fortune to the next generation, so, John G. and his five sisters lived and died in that mansion. They were so frugal that when John G. Uh, died at, uh, in 1914, his entire wardrobe was worth $10. If you forecast it into modern day numbers, his entire wardrobe was estimated at $240. John G, one of the, the wealthiest guy in New York City, uh, he had one dark suit, and then that's pretty much all he wore when he went out in public. But other than that, he just had his, you know, house clothing that he wore, and uh, never, ever bought a second suit. His youngest sister, her name was Ella. There's only one photograph of any of the Wendell family, and Ella's photograph, she's photographed in her dress, her only dress that she wore for over 25 years, and get this, she made the dress. Here's a photograph of Ella. That dress she made, and it's the only dress that she ever wore. They were just extremely frugal. Matter of fact, when they died, leaving their fortune to nobody, they basically left their fortune to different charities and stuff, um, their estimated uh, fortune in 1931, when Ella finally passed away, was $100 million dollars. Now if you forecast that into today's terminology their fortune was well over two billion dollars that they left to no one. Their relationship with their money was keep it. Don't spend it. Don't ever spend any money. Never. They were like the quintessential, the, the ultimate in save, never spend. <laughs> Some of you, maybe not to that extreme, nor do you have that kind of fortune, uh, are savers. Others of you uh, are spenders. You know, money just kind of comes in and goes out. Hey, you know, if I want it, I'm going to get it. And maybe even the stuff going out is a little bit more than the stuff coming in, but we just love to spend money. The reality is we have a relationship with our money. Well, we're in this series entitled Lifestyles. And uh, uh, we're talking about the different things about our lives that that the Bible speaks about. And this morning, we're going to talk about money. Why talk about money? Because the reality is money is a part of our lifestyle. Money is something that we interact with pretty much every day. But not only is it that we interact with it, and it is a part of our lifestyle, and each and every one of us are at a different place with our lifestyle as it relates to the money and the resources that we have, or we don't have for that matter, but whether if you're rich or you're poor or anything in the middle, money seems to be something that we interact with a lot. But more than that, the Bible has a lot to say about money. Matter of fact, throughout the entire Bible, passage after passage after passage talks about our money and the money that's out there and our our material possessions and how we're supposed to handle them or deal with them. You can't go through the book of Proverbs or the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, the wisdom literature, and not see that there is verse after verse after verse talking about money and our material possessions. Jesus actually talked a ton about our material possessions and the money, the resources that we have and how we're supposed to utilize them, what we're supposed to do with them. He, he told a bunch of different parables or what are stories to make a point. Many of them were about money. And all throughout the New Testament, money and material possessions are talked about and how we're supposed to manage them, how we're supposed to use them. So I thought it would only be appropriate that when we talk about our lifestyle, that we talk about something that quite honestly I think Uh, Those outside the church say all they want to talk about is money. But the reality is, the Bible has a lot to say about it. And if you've been around these parts much, we don't shy away from it, but it's not a hobby horse either. It's not something that we always talk about, but this morning we're going to. Anyway, I want to ask four questions that I think will help us understand the kind of relationship that we're supposed to have with our money. Four biblical questions, really, that I think will determine for us whether or not we have a healthy relationship with money or we have a dysfunctional relationship with money. So I'd like to turn to the Bible. We're going to be jumping around in different passages throughout the Bible in order to gain some wisdom on how our relationship with money ought to be. So here's the first question I want to ask. Who do we serve? Who do we serve? You know, money is so captivating, really, because it promises us that if we serve it, if we make sure that it is a part of what we focus on, that it actually offers us some pretty good perks. I think the number one perk that money gives us is freedom. I mean, if you've got financial resources, you've got a lot more freedom than people who don't have financial resources. Uh, Money says that we, if you have enough of it, you can get some pretty nice stuff with money. You can create some pretty nice memories if you have some money. If we are well off, we have more power. We have power to influence others. We have a voice in our world. With money comes independence. It's a reality. I see, uh, I, I can see how money can draw us in and say, you serve me, and I promise I'm going to give you a return on your investment. Yet, if we pursue money, does it make us wealthy? Now, think about that. You really have to define what wealth means. When we get to the end of our days and we end up dying, what will define if we die a rich man, or a poor man. The way to define that really is by who we serve. In the end, who are we going to serve? Jesus said these words in Matthew chapter 6. If you have your Bibles handy, you can go there. But like I said, we're going to be jumping around a little bit. And so you can just track with me. I'll have the verses up here on the, on the screen. But in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says these very pointed words. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Many translations say you cannot serve God and money. It is unhealthy to have our devotion divided. Um, Think about it. Today the Brewers take on the Colorado Rockies. Now if the Milwaukee Brewers baseball player is devoted to the Brewers, but he's also devoted to the Colorado Rockies, he's probably not going to play very well. Or take a salesperson. You know, you, you, you have a salesperson, and if they're devoted to the company that they are selling things for, while at the same time devoted to the competition, they're not going to be a very good salesperson. It's just a reality or let's bring it home. Last night was homecoming uh, in, at Lincoln High School. And uh, if there's a, a young guy and a young gal that are dating, and uh, they're devoted to each other, they are boyfriend and girlfriend, and yet let's say one of them starts having eyes for somebody else. Well, if they start having eyes for somebody else, this relationship begins to weaken. As a matter of fact, you can't have a divided devotion when it comes to loving at that level, right? I mean, you you have to either choose one or choose the other. Divided devotion doesn't work. Inconsistent commitment, fractured faithfulness, it fails every time. No one can serve two masters. Either we serve God, or we serve someone or something else. In our context, and in Matthew chapter six and verse 24, we cannot serve God and money. So ask ourselves the question: Who do I serve? Who is it that we serve? The second question that we need to ask ourselves is, who do we owe? Who do we owe? This morning when you came in, uh, you may have seen some people that had some handcuffs on. Some of you see people with handcuffs on? Any of you still have handcuffs on? Yeah, you wanted them off probably. If you see people with handcuffs on, it, it was to illustrate something. It, it was to illustrate that imagine if, um, if all of us in here uh, offer a private matter and make it public. When we think about our financial situations, especially in America, it's always a private matter. We just don't talk to other people about our financial situation. But if all of a sudden it had to become public, no doubt many of us would be walking around with handcuffs on because we owe someone some money. That there's this sense of what debt does to us is it actually put shackles on our wrists or put shackles on us. It causes us to be in bondage to, to our debt, to, to the weight of our financial obligations. If we had to go public with it, no doubt many of us would say, it's me. Look it, I've got the shackles on. I, I'm the one that is struggling financially. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 7 says this. Let me jump back to Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 7. Again, Proverbs are, are the wisdom literature. They, they offer wisdom for life, and this is a, a, a wisdom axiom, shall we say. It says, The rich rule over the poor, and the bow, borrower becomes the lender's slave. When we borrow money, we are a slave to the one that we are borrowing money from. By the age of 19, When I was 19, um, I was working in a factory, and uh, I had a union job, and so uh, I was feeling like I was pretty good, you know, doing pretty well, and I started to decide I'm going to buy some stuff, and so I bought a new car. Well, not new to me anyway. I bought a motorcycle. I bought a, a really sweet stereo system, and I just kept buying things, but not out of the money that I had. I was actually borrowing money to do it. And all of a sudden, I had over an $8,000 debt. At 19, that was a lot of money. And I started to feel the weight of it. And one of my big loans that I took out was at 22% interest. We're talking about a weight that I was carrying at 19 that I wasn't sure what to do about it. I really did feel like my hands were shackled to the financial debt that I was dealing with. So what do we do when we're under the bondage of debt? What do we do when we owe other people money? The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 13 that we are to owe nothing to anyone, that we're supposed to pay off our debts. Matter of fact, in Psalm chapter 37 in verse 21, it says this, the wicked borrows and does not pay back, but the righteous is gracious and gives. It's clear here that when we borrow money, we pay it back. We, we, we owe the person that we're debt indebted to that we must pay it back. Otherwise, it looks here like we're considered the wicked who don't pay it back. There's other passages, like Proverbs chapter 3, verses 27 and 28. We don't have time to turn there. But it basically says that, uh, hey, we have, if we have the resources, we have to pay back our debts. And when we think about being in debt, there's actually one debt that I think we should all own, one debt that we should say, yes, I want to make sure that I have that debt for the rest of my life. And it is a debt of gratitude. A debt of gratitude to the Lord where we live an indebted life to how good and gracious he is to us. I think the second half of this verse kind of lays that out. But the righteous is gracious and gives. The one who knows the righteousness of the Lord in their own life. The one who knows that the Lord has been working in their lives. That there's this sense of graciousness and generosity that flows from us. The way that we get to that place is is we get out of debt so that it frees us to be gracious and giving. Takes the shackles off so that we might be generous toward the Lord. I didn't know what to do with this debt. You know, it's all fine and good to say get out of debt, but how do you go about doing it? So I was weighted down by this, and I didn't know what to do. So I turned to my older brother, my brother Todd, and I confessed to him the situation that I was in. And he was so gracious and kind to me, he gave me a tool that got me out of debt probably faster than I could have ever gotten out of debt had I tried to figure it out myself. He said, now, listen, you get paid every single week, so figure out your bills for the month, whatever those bills are, and I want you to write on the outside of an envelope every single bill that you have, your monthly bills that you have, and you go to the bank and you cash your check and you put the cash in each envelope every week so that it accumulates over the four weeks so at the end of the month you have the money to pay off every single bill that you have. And then he said, and on those loans, and I think I had three loans at that time, the one with the 22% and others weren't so high, and he said, now start with that highest interest rate loan. And he said... Put all the extra money, pay the, the minimum payment, and then all the extra money that you have for that week, put it in that one, that one envelope, so you have more than what you have to pay on your minimum payment. And when you come to the end of the month and you've got to make that payment for that loan, you take out all that money and that extra money that you put in there and pay off that, that loan as fast as you possibly can. And then he said, when you're done paying off that high-interest loan, then you move that chunk of that money into the next loan that you have so that now you're paying off not only the minimum amount for that next loan, but now you've got all this extra money in that next envelope to pay off the next loan and then the next loan. And I was disciplined at doing this, and by the age of 23, I was completely debt-free. Totally out of debt. And actually had saved money to go to college, if you can believe it. And so it, it takes discipline, but, but we can do this. We can make sure that we're not enslaved to the lender, that we do get out of our debts that we have. Now, uh, we actually, uh, when we're talking about lifestyles, and if you've been with us over the weeks, we're like, okay, well, that's all well and good, so how do I make sure that I make this happen? And so I want to offer to you something that will make it happen for you. Also, it's not just about getting out of debt, but it's about how do I manage the resources that God has given to me to honor him with the resources that he's placed in my possession. And so what we're offering starting next Sunday is a a thing called Compassion Financial. Here's a slide that helps you lay it out. And and in your bulletins, there's actually a handout, uh, uh, an insert. It looks like this. that will give you all the information that you need. And uh, starting next Sunday, both in the early service and in the late service, we're offering this six-week class, and uh, it's Navigating Your Finances God's Way. And it'll just help you to get sort of a handle on where you're at with your finances and what God's will is... For them and uh, I just want to highly recommend it to you again it's offered in the first hour and in the second hour there's only 14 slots per hour so you got to get in there and if you're in a small group uh, maybe your small group can go through it this six-week course we're gonna have it done by by uh, by Thanksgiving and I would just highly recommend that you uh, that you sign up for this course and you be a part of it or have your small group go through it I think it would be very very uh, very good stuff easy to do by the way small group leaders a DVD and some discussion questions, and just working through the stuff. So, anyway, uh, I would just offer that to you. Uh, so we're asking questions: Who do I serve? Who do we serve? Who do we owe? And the third question I want to ask is: Who do we trust? If you're sincere, if you sincerely ask that question to yourself, who is it that I trust, or what is it that I trust? The question is: Are we putting our trust in our financial resources, or are we putting our trust? in the Lord. Go with me over to Proverbs chapter 11, verse 28. It says this, he who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like the green leaf. The righteous will flourish. Those who are walking rightly with the Lord, they will flourish. How do we flourish? It says that we will flourish like the green leaf. What's the difference? I mean, now we're in the fall. We're not looking at green leaves now. When we see the green leaves, it's in the spring. Why are there green leaves coming out on a tree? They come out on a tree because life is being pushed up through that tree, and it's coming out in those leaves. And so flourishing like a green leaf is like flourishing with the life that the Lord desires for us to have. Flourishing with the life that the Lord is offering to us. If we want to flourish with the life that the Lord is offering to us, if we want to know the abundant life that the Lord has for us, well, then we must trust him with our lives. We must put our faith in him and trust him daily. Matter of fact, Jesus put it this way. If you jump back to Matthew's gospel, uh, back in Matthew chapter 6 again, and jump over to verse 25, Matthew six twenty-five, Jesus goes on and he says this, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life, as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? In other words, God will take care of us. We've got to put our faith in him. We've got to trust him. We've got to make sure that that we're trusting that he's the one that's taking care of us. He's the one that's providing for us. We have to trust him if we want that abundant life that he desires for us to have. The Apostle Paul put it quite succinctly and straightforwardly in this way if we go back to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 and, uh, and verse 19 says this, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God will supply all of our needs in Jesus When I was a little kid, one of my earliest childhood memories was um, I was standing on the top of these steps, and as a little kid, I mean, like little kid, they seemed like they were, you know, a ton of steps, and that my dad was way, way down there, And, and he was calling me to jump to him. Now, as a little kid, I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to jump to him. Because if I jump to him, I'm leaving this nice, lovely, secure platform that I enjoy, you know. I was a really deep thinker as a little boy. But my dad's down there, and he's like, come on, Jeremy, come on, I'll catch you. Really, jump. Come on, jump to me, I'll catch you. I am looking at the cement underneath him, and I'm looking at him, and I'm thinking, you know, his arms, they're not the biggest pipes in the world. But anyway, I, 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 I look at him, and finally I get up the courage. And I leap, and I jump, and he grabs me under my arms, and he swoops me up. And I remember how exhilarating that was for him to catch me and to pick me up. And I, I think to, to our lives that we build this platform in our lives. We, we build our own safety. We build our own security. And the resources that we have, the material possessions that we have, the houses that we live in, all of that, it, it causes us to, to kind of say, I'm real secure where I'm at. And I've built a nice little fortress for myself, and I don't think I, I want to go anywhere. I think this is good. And when I think of trusting the Lord instead of trusting in our material possessions and trusting in the, 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 the money that we have accumulated, it's like the Lord is saying, come on, come on, jump to me. Take a risk. I want you to walk by faith and not by sight. I want you to jump into my arms and I promise I'll catch you. The Lord is there to say, I'm going to catch you. Because the reality is, he who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish. They'll experience the abundant life that the Lord has for them. Like a green leaf if we leap into the arms of our Savior, if we leap into the arms of our Lord. Who do we trust? Who do we owe? Who are we serving? Well, one last question that we need to ask ourselves. Who do we love? Honestly, who do we love? The reality is people, especially in America, love Money. They love money. (laughs) They love what it buys them. They love the perks that it offers for those who pursue it. And by the way, some people pursue money like people pursue an intimate relationship. They go after it. They put a lot of energy into it. Let me read again from the wisdom literature of Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 10. Ecclesiastes 5.10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This, too, is vanity. This, too, is is empty. (laughs) This, too, is like a chasing after the wind. The reality is money offers satisfaction. Money offers immense satisfaction, and it's kind of like drugs you know i mean they they give you a bit of satisfaction money gives you some satisfaction but but in the end it's it's still hollow deep inside in the end we can go after it and it kind of is like "Ooh, this is fun this is exciting this is good but then as we have it it's like but i still have a void there's still an emptiness it truly is vanity (laughs) a chasing after the wind the Apostle Paul put it this way in, in 1 Timothy. If you jump back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, he said, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, but going after it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Flee from the things that are empty, going after money. It it, it pulls us away from the things that really matter deep down inside this faith walk with the Lord. And when we pursue these other things like righteousness and And uh, godliness and faith and love and perseverance and gentleness, now that's what fills us up. That's what fills the void inside. That's what we should be loving. The author of Hebrews, one more verse on this I want to go to. The author of Hebrews in chapter 13 and verse 5 says this, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you nor will I ever forsake you. You know why he adds that at the end there. He's basically saying, love the one who truly loves you. (laughs) Money doesn't love you. Money money is money. But God loves you. God loves me. And he tells us, love me. Love the one who will never desert you nor ever forsake you even more than that he commands us to love him go over to Matthew chapter 22 Matthew chapter 22 a lawyer actually asked Jesus like okay so what's the greatest commandment and, and some of you will remember this in Matthew 22 and verse 37 he said to him you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind This is the greatest and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends the whole law and the prophets. Love God with everything that you have, everything that you are, and love your neighbor as yourself. Years ago, I watched a documentary, one of my favorite documentaries I've ever watched. It's called Happy. It's actually a copy of the cover of the video, Happy, the movie, Happy and I would recommend it. Uh, the creators of this documentary basically traveled the entire world trying to answer the question, what makes people happy? Who are the happiest people in the world? And it's interesting because uh, what they discovered is the richest people in the world are not the happiest people in the world. Matter of fact, there's a lot of rich people that are quite miserable. <laughs> but who, what they discovered is the, the most happy people in the world are people who have deep trusting relationships with other people and people who are compassionate and loving toward others. They're the most happy. Well, they didn't have to travel the world to discover that. The Bible's been saying that for thousands and thousands of years. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. As your, as yourself. These two things hangs the whole law. Love. Who do we love? With our heart, soul, and mind, who do we love? What do we love? You know, if we get caught up in what society is telling us is great for you, then we'll get caught up in materialism. We'll get caught up in pursuing money. But the reality is, if we get caught up in that, it will be like these shackles will start to confine us. If we go after what the Lord says is going to bring happiness and bring, bring the things that will satisfy your soul, the reality is, you won't just have shackles on your wrists, you'll have them on your ankles, and you'll have them all over your heart. The Lord wants to break us free from those shackles. The Lord wants to set us free. The Lord wants you and me to know what what it really means to have that green leaf type life growing in us. He wants us to know what it means to have the abundant life that he promises. So in answer to those questions, you were picking up on it, no doubt. We want that, then we say, who do I serve? I serve the Lord Jesus Who do I owe? I owe a debt of gratitude to my Savior, my Lord Jesus. Who do I trust? I'm not trusting in myself. I'm not trusting in my riches. I'm not trusting in my stuff. I lay my life down at the feet of Jesus, and I trust him. And who do I love? Well, there's a lot of things in life I love, but if I had to put it at the top, I hope we could all say, I love my Savior. I love the one who set me free. Jesus even says it. If the Son, therefore, will make you free, you'll be free indeed. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for loving us first. Thank you for being such a good God to us. Thank you that each and every one of us live in a day and age when in world history we are of the, of all of world history, we're the richest. You've given us so many good and wonderful gifts. Perfect gifts, really. Things to enjoy in life. Thank you for the things that you've allowed us to enjoy. Lord, may our hearts always be pointed at you. May we always have in the forefront of our minds and in our hearts your incredible love for us. And may everything about our lives just scream out to the world around us how much we love you back. May we love you with everything that we are. Thank you for allowing us to express this love toward you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your goodness, your generosity to us. And Jesus, we pray this in your precious name. Amen.